Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The four guys decided to go mountain climbing one weekend. In the middle of the climb, one fellow slipped off the cliff, dropped about 60 feet, and landed with a thud on the ledge below. The other three, hoping to rescue him, yelled, Joe, are you okay? I'm alive. I think I broke both my arms. We'll toss you a rope down and pull you up. Just lie still. It's like, where was he going? Fine, answered Joe. A couple of minutes after dropping one end of the rope, they started tugging and and grunting together, working feverishly to, to, to pull their wounded companion to safety. And when they had him about three-fourths of the way up, they suddenly remembered he said he broke both his arms. Joe, if you broke both arms, how are you hanging on? Joe replied, with my teeth. (laughs) Yeah, you know, living in times like that that we're living with, with the coronavirus, with racial tensions, with a polarizing political election cycle, and the information on all of these matters changing rapidly and and often contradictory. You can feel like both arms are broken and you're hanging on with your teeth. Yeah. See, this is what this is what society looks like when it's unhinged from the goodness of God. This is what saving ourselves looks like in civility. No justice, no peace, both broken arms and a breakdown in community. It's what happens when God's goodness is forgotten. However, God is good. I see you're supposed to say all the time. (laughs) And all the time. Amen. Thank you for being with me. (laughs) And the good God is at work in you all. Or as they would say in the South, y'all. Good God is at work in you all in order to bring about his goodness to all creation. See, this this is a letter to the church, the body of Christ, to believers. And this is if Paul is saying, and he is saying this, we need to keep in front of us the goodness of God if we are to have the power of God bringing God's good purposes into the world. See, our scriptures Our reading today is telling us that God is good and and God is at work in his church to will and to act 
according to his good purpose. If you haven't figured it out, well, hey, there it is, the title of the sermon, God Works in You. And since the scripture asserts that God is at work in us with power to accomplish what brings him delight, because that's literally how that, that text reads, that God is at work with power and energy to bring about the thing that he desires, what is pleasure. This is why it's translated pleasurable in some translations. We need to know these three things. What is the goodness of God? How is goodness shown? What does his goodness produce? So what is the goodness of God? Good verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see the goodness of God? See, looking at these verses, I would define the goodness of God this way. The goodness of God is his ability to act towards us, not according to our sins, but according to his love. The goodness of God is his ability to act towards us, not according to our sins, but according to his love. See, Paul's writing to a church that, has, that is, is struggling to understand God is at work in them and that he's bringing about his good purposes. You say, how do you know that? Well, they had arguments. They, they had arguments. They were disagreeable. They were, there were dissensions among them. They were self-seeking and self-promoting. And, and that old English word, vainglorious. And it was infecting the body. And I know that's probably not the way that we like to remember the early church or that we think about the early church because, we, you know, because it, it, it appears that sometimes when we talk about them, they were pristine. But here's a church that, had, that, that was like us. They battled with self-interest. They, they battled with selfish ambition. They battled with self-centered pride. And the antidote that Paul prescribes is to remind them that God is at work in them. And this is the basis. This is the basis from which they are to work out their salvation. See, the goodness of God is experienced by us as salvation. Hallelujah. It's why the psalmist who would say when he asked in, in Psalm 25, 4 and 5, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. And then in verses 7 and 8, he prays, Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Yeah, see, we define, we define God's goodness. And you can't define goodness apart from God. Many people try, but you can't, you can't define it apart from God. God. God is good, but it isn't because good is a quality out there apart from God. No, goodness exists because of God. God's goodness is his ability to act towards us, not according to our sins. Hallelujah. But according to his love. But how is this goodness shown? Well, in verse 6 of, of Psalm, Psalm 25, David writes, Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. 
The goodness of God is, is shown in his mercy and love, which David says, they're ancient. It's been around for a long time. So you need the, the best The best predictor of God's future goodness is the goodness he's shown in the past. See, David could could presently ask for God's mercy and love because he knows that God has given it in the past. You see, David knew. David knew how God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt. David and and other writers of the Psalms were, were always drawing upon what God had done in the past to deliver his people to inspire their faith in his future deliverance. He knew the story of Moses praying, Lord, show me your glory, Exodus 33, and how God would hide Moses in the cleft of the rock and why David would later say, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Moses in that rock, David knew that God had covered Moses with his hand so that Moses wouldn't die. He knew how the Lord made his goodness pass in front of Moses in Exodus 34, when, where it says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. You see, God's behavior of mercy and love in the past is what David trusted for the future. And we see the goodness of God in the same way, don't we? We don't we see the goodness of God. We, we know the history of God's mercy as we consider Christ's love for us that's described here in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, most biblical scholars say that this is a hymn that the early church sang about Jesus. And so in song, they reminded each other, they, reminded, they were reminded how, how the goodness of God in the past would inform their trust in the present and for the future. So to answer the question of how God's goodness is shown, you need to look to the example of Christ on the cross. Because there you see, you see that, that he, God is so good. Yeah, God, my savior, David would say, but what he didn't know and didn't see is that it would be God in his son who would become man. He would become human. God is so good that he who possessed the nature of God would take on the nature of a slave. He's so good that he who is life would take on flesh so that by the grace of God, he could taste death for everyone. He's so good that on the cross... He who knew no sin was made sin for us. That we could be made the righteousness of God in him. We look back at the cross in order to know how the goodness of God will be with us in the future. See, our times, brothers and sisters, our times are bound up in the goodness of God who in love and mercy uses his power to bring about his good purposes in us. Augustine said it like this. 
We count on God's mercy for our past mistakes, on God's love for our present needs, and God's sovereignty for our future. God is at work in you. But now, what does his goodness produce? Back again at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see, Paul, in writing, in writing to the Philippians, he's writing to this, this Roman colony that, that, that is, is, a, is familiar with, Roman, with how Roman ways worked. They were familiar with the culture where, where people sought glory for themselves. They knew that the culture of Rome was one that operated on patronage. They, that is one that, that in order to get ahead, the, the powerful benevolent of a, of a patron was needed. The recipient was to expect, and they were expected to honor that patron with gratitude. Scott McKnight in his book, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is Not, describes the Roman culture this way. Among the Romans, a patron or benefactor was a person who provided protection financial assistance, or political influence. The recipient of this largesse was the client. The client was expected to honor and at times serve the patron. To fail to repay a favor is not permitted to a good man, wrote Cicero. Homicides, tyrants, thieves, adulterers, robbers, sacrilegious men, and traitors, there, were, there will always be, wrote Seneca. This system, he opined, is the glue holding society together. Effective use of these relationships depended on not only fame, what was said about one, but also gloria, the notoriety that results from effective self-promotion. That's the glue that held the society, that held Rome together? You see that the text here is saying something completely different? Paul is writing to this, this, to, to these Philippians who, an extension of Rome. That's what a colony was. They were an extension of Rome. And he's saying to them, God is your benefactor. God is, he's the one who provided salvation. This goodness of God is produced, this working out of our salvation. And it produces this fear and trembling. So, and why fear and trembling? Well, because it's God at work in you. You know, it's not Nero. It's not a politician. It's God at work in you. It's not the, a political culture or a system of that, that is, that's an institution of man that's at work. It's God who is at work in you. This goodness of God produces fear and trembling. Isn't that an odd mixture? Yeah, it, it's, it's odd. It, it's, but it can be, it can be, it can't be anything other than this. This is why Jesus Humbled himself. This is the example Paul gives. Jesus humbles himself in order that God would exalt him. God would be the one who glorified him. He didn't glorify himself. He had glory. He set it aside. He didn't glorify himself. God glorified him. It's God who's at work in you. Yeah, fear and trembling. See, if it isn't, if you don't, if there's no fear, if there's no trembling, you, you think that you deserve this. You would think that somehow... You earned this standing with God. You would think that this salvation is something that, that you produced. It was your efforts. But it's God at work in you. The power is his. 
The delight is his. The will is his. The goodness that is accomplished in us is his. The glory is his. So, so this is not a fear of dread. This is not, it's not fear and trembling that ends in death and destruction, but it ends in joy, in delight, in, in comforts of love, in, in, in ethnic and, and racial harmony, unity, and the glory of God. And it's why Paul would write in, in, in the chapter, in verses 1 through 5, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You see, this, this being united with Christ, having the comfort of his love, the blessing of fellowship with the spirit, which is, he's talking about the blessing of fellowship between each other. The tenderness and, and longings are, they're all motivations for changing their attitudes. They are to live. They are to live the goodness that God, through his grace and generosity in Christ, has worked into them. The salvation is theirs, but it's all from God. God working in us. Yeah, see, there's the glue that holds us together. So here's the question. Do you believe that God is at work in you? Do, you, do we believe that God is at work in us? And since his pleasurable purpose, his ple- what, what pleases God is to make us like Christ, God remembers us according to his love, instructs us in his ways, guides us in what is right. Now, we have all kind of expectations of of how unbelievers ought to act. and, And when they don't, we want to condemn them. But God's not at work in them. They don't see. They don't see God's goodness. And before the world can experience how good God is, the church must first come to terms with the truth that he's at work in us to will and to act according to his good purposes. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're reminded what the goodness of God is. We're reminded how it is shown and and what his goodness produces. Is at the table of our Lord, we affirm that the power to live lives of of loving unity flows from the goodness of God at work in us. Brothers and sisters, come to the table. Here at the table of our Lord, the table is for, for all who have faith in Jesus, for all who have been brought into the church through baptism, for all who are at peace with one another. In the communion, we affirm that we are at peace with God and with each other. So, if you're harboring any anger or or resentment or bitterness in your heart, cast it away. 
or get reconciled before coming to the table of our Lord. So let's take a moment now and examine ourselves before the Lord. 